I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 166, with guest Isabel Fox and Duke. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am so grateful that you are here in my little part of the internet every week. And this guest is, I think that this is the third time Isabel has been on. I've known Isabel for years and years, and I love having her on because she speaks about a topic that I don't teach in the online classes that I teach and typically the work that I do one-on-one with women. Isabel is an expert in this particular topic around food, especially, and body image as well, but especially around food. And before we get into it, I wanted to just kind of give you a heads up that in this particular episode, I don't know if you want to call it a trigger warning. Like, I don't even know. Trigger is so subjective. You know, I talk about triggers. I don't know what your triggers are, but I just wanted to tell you what we are talking about in this episode is we both share our past relationships with food and eating and what that looked like for both of us. I don't believe I have ever shared this story on a past episode in the depths that I do when we had this conversation. And so I just wanted to let you know if you are triggered easily by hearing stories like this, tread lightly going in. And also Isabel has an amazing free video series. You'll hear about it at the very end of the episode, but I wanted to let you know now, in case you don't make it to the end of the episode, this is a little bit of a longer one. If you go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash Isabel, you can see a little preview of that video series and decide if you want to sign up for it. Again, it's totally free. It costs $0 to do that. Yourkickasslife.com forward slash Isabel. That link is easy to grab in the show notes over at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 166. And before we get on with it, let me tell you a little bit about Isabel. Isabel Fox and Duke is a health coach and emotional eating expert. She helps women who can't stop sneaking, eating food in the middle of the night, binge eating after a long day at work, and who are constantly on tiring food regimens with no long-term success. In short, she helps women stop being crazy around food and weight. So without further ado, here is Isabel. 
Hey, Isabel, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. As always, I love chatting with you. I know. I think that this is actually your third time on the podcast. I have 160 some episodes now. So <laughs> you have oh definitely gosh. been a favorite guest of ours. And I'm just, I'm super pumped to have you on to talk about this always relevant topic about food and body issues and where I would love to start because I know I've heard your story several times because I've heard you obviously on my podcast and I've listened to a couple of other podcasts that I've heard you on. And I think it's such a relatable story and a common one about where your eating and body issues started. So can you kind of start from the beginning and tell us about it? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, I always like to kind of just explain what I even mean by food and body image issues. You know, I think that this is kind of such broad a broad topic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's such a broad topic. I feel like sometimes it almost gets like, you know, lost in the ether of like, oh, yeah, food, body image, blah, blah. You know, so, you know, I like to just try and be as specific as possible about you know, what the hell I went through. And I think that, you know, it seems like, you know, most of my clients, they will relate to, you know, different parts of the story. But, you know, I think when you really get down to it, when you really get into the knit and grit of how we as women sort of experience this oppressive diet culture that we live in, I'll just say that, you know, my story started at a very, very young age, definitely on the younger side. I was about three years old when I was put on my first diet. I was put on my first diet by my pediatrician at the time who, you know, of course, you know, said to my poor mother, oh, Isabel, you know, she's a little bit heavy. She's a little bit high on the baby BMI scale. You know, got to make sure you watch what she's eat. You don't want to, you know, fat baby, do you? I mean, like, you know, something along those lines. I'm sure my mother was, sounds like my mother was terrified. And my mom, of course, being this sort of dutiful mother, it was just terrified. I mean, you can imagine, I'm sure as a mother yourself, kind of like getting those messages from doctors is, you know, so the last thing you want to hear from your doctor. Um, we take everything at face value from doctors and trust every word that comes out yeah, of the gospel. Ex- <laughs> yes. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, my mother just probably free. I imagine she was just, you know, oh gosh, I have to do something about this and did what she thought was the right thing to do, which was, you know, really try to control my food, right? So my mom basically, at the advice of my doctor, put me on my first diet when I was very, very small. I have no memory of having not been on a diet. I mean, I think that that's important, right? Like I literally from the time that I was a young child was always on a diet of some kind. And I want to be clear about what I mean by the word diet, because, you know, I think people, they often say things like healthy eating when they mean diet. When I'm using the word diet, I mean like an intentional, forcible attempt at weight control through food manipulation, Mm -hmm. right? So I had always from a very, very young age been on doing something, right? Whether it was Atkins or whether it was Weight Watchers or whether it was, you know, paleo or plant-based or, you know, whatever the thing is that it was, but it was for, it wasn't really for the purpose of health and the holistic, you know, idea of that. It was really for the purpose of, I must get thin, I must get thin, right? So I was always trying to look for the new thing that was going to help me control my food from this super, super young age. Mm -hmm. Now, as a result of this, right, I often felt like super deprived. I was like, oh my gosh, I want nothing more than the bread, but I shouldn't have the bread, right? Like I constantly felt like a kid in a toy store being told not to touch the toys. And, And really I was a kid in the toy store being told not to touch the toys for most of my, you know, life. But so, yeah, I basically, you know, got involved in some very classic diet binge cycling, which I think most people experience when they're depriving themselves and sort of going on these, you know, doing these sort of uh, making these radical attempts to change their food for the purpose of weight loss, right? They 
almost always end up rebounding in some capacity. Not everyone, but I think this is most people's experience, right? So I was diet binge cycling, classically defined from pretty much the age of three on, right? Like I was always, always trying to either control my food or of course falling off the wagon and completely losing control and like dipping my fingers in the peanut butter jar, hoping that no one would walk in and catch me. You know, that was my life. And of course, as I failed at dieting and as I became just more and more body shame, more and more body shame became more and more committed to dieting harder next time. And then of course the binge would be worse, right? And it was just this diet binge cycling, kind of like a pendulum swing just became more and more severe as I got older, right? I mean, I was just, the dieting, I got sort of more aggressive about my attempts at dieting. And then of course, when I would fall off the wagon, I would fall off harder and harder and harder. And so this was sort of, again, my life. And I sort of was progressively oscillating between trying to control my food and losing control. Like (laughs) yo-yo, I mean, I yo-yoed up and down, you know, 40 pound swings as a high school student, you know, that's pretty, pretty severe. Yeah. So I was young, very young when this was going on. And finally, I remember when I got to college, I became so desperate to lose weight. I was like, I just need to be thin. I'll do anything. What works? You know, of course, there was always this idea in my head of like, what's going to finally be the thing that makes me thin? You know, that sort of desperation that came over me. And I actually ended up turning to drugs and I started using, you know, I was just like, I don't care. You know, my health was complete. The concept of health went completely out the window uh-huh. at some point. It really just became a sort of desperate attempt to be thin. Started using drugs to try to control my weight and promptly ended up in rehab. I mean, like, you know, hand a woman with food issues, you know, stimulant medications. Wow. And you were looking at, you know, rehab coming pretty quickly down the pipeline. So well, that's such, I'm going to stop you for a second because yeah. that age yeah. of like, you know, when you're in college, roughly like 18 to 21, 22, that is just a recipe for disaster. I mean, teenagers, the the prefrontal cortex is not fully formed and that's where we make rational decisions. And (laughs) you think you're invincible. And yeah, like I can see how being that age and being so desperate to be thin, that drugs seems like a reasonable solution. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, exactly. It was like at that point, it just felt like I want this so badly. And I think that the reality of the situation is that this is happening you know, actually for adults, I mean, we're getting prescriptions for this from their doctors. I mean, this is happening in ways that feel more contained, but it's Mm -hmm. still happening to people of all ages. But yeah, certainly for me as like a young college student who had access to, you know, illicit drugs on the black market, you know, like that was, it was a whole different opportunity of just insanity. And yeah, and I had a whole sort of romantic notion around that. I think, you know, it was very much like of the era of like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, like doing drugs and going to, I mean, I'm this literally born two days after them. So I was Mm -hmm. the same age as them. I mean, and also I think goes to show how much the media influenced me, not to say that that was what launched me into this, but there was definitely, for whatever reason, it it felt like this is just what I have to do. Like it was almost like there was like, I know Yeah, exactly. It was just like, I know, right. It was do whatever it takes. It was like, I just don't want to be the chubby girl at my college anymore. I always have this sort of feeling of like, I was the fat friend, you know, like that sort of archetype of the quote, the fat friend was the archetype that I related to at that time in my life. And I was just like, I just, 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 just want to be the girl that all of the guys at school are looking at. Like that was just seemed like the most important thing. Like I was willing to give up 
a lot mm-hmm. to get there. And again, it is, and it was, you know, to some extent, an immature way of thinking. I was very young, but I don't think that this is super. It's an extreme version, but I don't think it's actually that different from what a lot of adults are, are you know, also feel about weight and food, right? I mean, again, and it's an extreme story that I think people, to some extent, can relate to, right? This idea of like, I just want to get this weight off of me, right? Mm-hmm. And like, what do I have to do to just get this weight off of me? I think is something that is something that people feel all of the time at all ages for a variety of reasons. I, you know, just kind of went to extremes, which is why I, ha- you know, I kind of have this dramatic story around it but the concept of I just what do I have to do to get thin is something that I think so many people are dealing with for a variety of reasons it's really interesting and I think that your story like you were saying it's it is a little bit of an extreme one you know having been put on a diet when you're three years old and I think that it's really common <laughs> I think there's a lot of people listening mm-hmm. and I know I, and I've had some clients who have similar stories to yours and my story is actually a little bit different but I think that the mentality is the same. I don't think I've talked about this in a long time on the podcast, so I will tell everyone. So I, my mom, like never, because I know that for a lot of people listening too, they grew up in homes where their mother did not have the best body image or, you know, didn't have a healthy relationship with food. So they heard growing up all of the things that made them have their beliefs around food and body. Basically their moms had like dysfunctional relationships with food in their body. So Mm. they ended up adopting it. Like I didn't have that. My mom was and is a curvy woman, but I would never consider her like an overweight person. And she just, I never heard her talk badly about her body. I never heard her talk badly about other women's bodies. I never heard her say anything about it. It was like a non issue. Mm -hmm. Like we had a mm-hmm. scale in like their bathroom, I think, but I never even like really saw her get on it. So in one way, when, it was good. Right. What, what were you going to say? I was just say like, was there like a moment? I mean, if it didn't, you know, theoretically come from your parents, which I think, I think a lot of people, it doesn't necessarily come from their parents, right? I mean, there's, there's a whole wide culture out there influencing this, but was there a moment when you thought to yourself, oh God, I have to be thin. Or, oh, yes. oh God, I, I have I'm to look right. there. <laughs> there was a moment. So okay. yeah. And I was an average size kid. I went through like the gawky skinny stage in seventh grade. And then I, there was this one particular thing that I didn't even know until years later, I've kept every journal I've ever had. I'm not very sentimental, but for some reason, journals have always stayed with me throughout the moves that I've made in my life. And I have my Hello Kitty diary from when I was in elementary school. And there is an entry from, I think it was like 1986 six or 87. So I was 11, maybe I was 12. And I wrote in there, literally wrote like, dear diary, I'm getting fat. And I said, I'm going to start writing down how much I weigh. I'm going to weigh myself every day and I'm going to start exercising. And I was writing down how much I weighed. I weighed 82 pounds. I was a child. I was a little girl. And I, looking back, I remember like that time in my life was probably when puberty was striking and the way that we are biologically, like we go from, we jump like sometimes like 10% body fat. You know, we go, I don't remember what the Mm -hmm. statistics are. I used to know this. I have a degree in exercise physiology, so, (laughs) but memory is not serving me, but we jump in body fat during that time in our lives. And I'm sure that that's what was happening to me. I was starting to fill out normal Mm -hmm. things that Mm -hmm. happen. 
Mm -hmm. I started my period in seventh grade. So it was probably around that time. And and I had written in my diary. I asked my mom if she thought I was fat. And she said, no, you're just average. So it's like looking back, like that would have been a really great opportunity for my mom to be like, what is going on? Like, we need to have a conversation. Right. Doing her best. She's just like, whatever, Andrea. So I grew up in the 80s when it was like the aerobics craze, when it was like Jane (laughs) Fonda and her thong and, you know, Tammy Lee Webb after that, just like these women, like it was like the hard body era. Mm. And it wasn't the 90s yet where it became like that Kate Moss era, but I definitely, you know, felt that too. But all that to say, I was a product of the media and our culture. So it wasn't so much my family of origin. For me, it was, you know, I grew up on MTV and Mm -hmm. really just seeing and being kind of like the poster child for consuming so much media and not have any media literacy around it. Like nobody was talking about, this was even before the age of like real Photoshop, but it was still very real going on. There's definitely been times in my life where my paycheck ran out before I got paid again, and I wish I could have accessed my next paycheck a few days before I was due to get it. Well, what if I told you that can happen with Earnin? Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for anything you need to, therapy visits, rent, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So fast forward into my 20s and also in the 80s, convenience food was all the rage and, you know, we didn't eat the best growing up. So in my 20s, it started to catch up with me, those kinds of eating habits. And I started to exercise less and started to gain a little bit of weight. And my boyfriend at the time, who ended up being my first husband, his friend, I overheard him saying to my boyfriend, wow, Andrea's ass is getting big. And I remember that was my moment like that. And, and I remember like, who knows if he, that was a compliment. That may have been a compliment. (laughs) Right. Right. I didn't hear it that way. Right, 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 right. I did not hear it that way. 
I remember you just were like like, body consciousness, like in full force. I'm done. Like I'm done with this. I knew I had gained a little bit of weight, but so I got a gym membership and I remember weighing myself and I was at the heaviest I had ever been. And it was one of those scales, you know, where you have to like tip the little, I don't know what it's called. And I was like tipping it farther and farther over to the right. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It was the biggest number I had ever seen on there. And so I made a goal and like, okay, I can definitely lose like probably like five, seven pounds easily. And that would have put me back at like where my set point is, like where my body likes to be. Mm-hmm. So I got there pretty easily just by exercising a lot and started to restrict a little bit. So I was probably 25 or 26 when this was happening. And Mm. then that was pretty easy to lose that much weight. And I was like, okay, I look pretty good. Like my clothes are fitting better. And then it was all just unraveled from there. And I was was the addictive, progressive, like (laughs) type A personality, perfectionist, control freak type of person that I was. And I was also, then I got engaged. And it was like, I think this is still a thing, but it was like that, you know, like you got to be tone in your wedding dress. <laughs> like, mm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I went That's down real. that. That's oh, a real, real pressure. Yeah. So it got to the point where I quickly lost a lot of weight. And I remember like I found the pictures from my bachelorette party. So this was, so yeah, I was like 26 then. I don't even recognize myself. Like I was so thin. I looked 10 years older because I was like, my cheeks were hollowed out. I was also lifting a lot of weight. So I was like really spindly. And the day that I knew it had gotten bad and I was also purging, I was never really a big binger. Mm -hmm. That wasn't really my drug of choice. It was Mm -hmm. was other things. I was also severely dependent. Yeah, it was, it was severe restriction. And Anytime I would sort of indulge, you know, to be honest, anytime I would eat a regular sized meal, I would purge, Mm -hmm. which made it Mm -hmm. kind of like purging was not easy for me. Like I assume, Mm. and I don't know this, but when you binge and purge, like it's kind of easier to purge because your stomach is so full. For me, that wasn't the case. And so it just, it was so fucked up. Like I don't have any other better description for it than that. I I was obsessed. I was obsessed with every piece of food that went into my mouth. I was obsessed with every workout, with the amount of time on there. And if it said the amount of calories I was burning, I just, I would lay in bed. I knew it was getting bad when there were nights when I would lay in bed at night and my heart was racing. Oh, And I know that I was, I was starting to starve. Like it was not good. Right. My hair was starting to fall out and I never, my period never stopped, which you know, like if you look at the DSM, that's what quote unquote anorexia is. So I was always like, I'm okay. You know? Oh God. Oh God. Don't even get me started on the DSM. (laughs) Don't even get me started. My period. So I'm okay. Yeah. So long story short, the moment I knew it was bad was when my mom had come to see me. And so she wasn't living where I was. So it would be like several months in between our visits together. And so she Mm -hmm. saw me, she came to have lunch with me at work and she grabbed my arms, my wrists and like held my arms away from my body and was like looking at my body and her, you know, your mom's looks, you know, like the look of shock on her face, like of genuine concern, like such extreme concern, like that made me think like, I'm getting emotional. Just like thinking, I will never forget the look on her face where she was like, cause mm-hmm. I had that little voice in my head that was saying, this probably isn't okay. Like this probably isn't good behavior. But again, I was in that yeah. place where it was like, I was getting so much positive feedback from other women 
a few people had mentioned right. like you're looking really thin are you okay but for the most part I was getting a lot of positive feedback and then my mom was like I don't remember what she said I just remember the look on her face honestly like I didn't actually look into recovery until I had gained the weight back so I got married and went on my honeymoon and kind of just started eating again and realized I love eating <laughs> and this isn't <laughs> worth it so I gained most of the weight back and was still a thin person, but it wasn't until later when I was in therapy and we started talking about it, did I realize just how bad it actually was? So there was a right. lot of other recovery things that I did. And I know, you know, I'm self-diagnosed EDNOS, eating disorder, not otherwise specified, because it was kind of like mm -hmm. a mishmash of all the symptoms together. And that's the thing with, with yeah. this type of, like this topic is that it doesn't always look a certain way for everyone. No. Most people are engaging in multiple behaviors, right? Like most people are struggling with, like, for example, like there's no such thing as somebody who just binge eats. I guarantee you everyone who is binge eating is also dieting, restricting, trying to lose weight, trying to control their food. Right? Alcohol, and like, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no such thing as I just binge. I just this, I just that. Right. I and mean, I think to some extent, I've definitely had moments in my life where I believed that I was just binging. But if I, in now in retrospect, I like recognize, I'm like, oh, I wasn't just binging. I was also trying to control my size. I was also trying to control my food on a regular basis. I thought that it was so strange that I was binging because, you know, and why can't I just stick to my diet like a quote unquote normal person, right? So I didn't always necessarily, I didn't, for many, many years, I didn't identify as a restrictor. But the reality of the situation is binging is, you know, just a symptom of restriction. I mean, restrictors, you know, people who are, I have a mentor who calls it basically said like addiction to the pursuit of weight loss, right? And mm -hmm. basically it's like you can pretty much define eating disorders as, you know, addictions to the pursuit of weight loss. Some people will be restricting and not binging or restricting and engaging in other various different kinds of, you know, ED behaviors. Other people, binge eating will be a symptom of these restrictive behaviors. But at the end of the day, right, there's this common thread of like a addiction or compulsion towards the pursuit of weight loss, whether you're quote successful or not, right? And the craziness that comes from that. And I think that that's really where we see the thread and the tie between, you know, all of these different groups of people whose symptoms are going to be, you know, different and diverse. But the common thread between them is the craziness, right? Is the obsession with, oh my gosh, how do I try and get this weight off? How do I try to get more weight off? How do I control my food? How do I do this? You know, thinking about food all day long, right? Like that sort of mental insanity, that sort of mental hell that I think that you experience, whether you are struggling with restrictive eating disorder or just kind of diet binge cycling and have body shame and hate your life because of that, right? You know, it's that insanity around food, right? Mm -hmm. It's that feeling crazy around food that is sort of the common thread and, and really is what is behind all of this, right? Is this, oh, the addiction to the pursuit of weight loss, right? The, I need to be thin. I need to be thin. And, you know, trying to screw with my biological instincts around food, you know, in order to accomplish this goal in a way that's obviously not helpful or not working, whether you're restrictive eating disorder or whether you're a diet binge cycler, right? Or whether you're a strict, yeah, strict you know, binge really, cycler. What's really interesting, Isabel, is that, you know, I've known you for years and years and you've had that tagline for a long time. Like, I hope women stop feeling crazy around food. And what's really interesting, I just realized this right now, is that I never really resonated with the word crazy because I'm like, I don't think I've ever felt crazy around food, but I think that maybe, and tell me if I'm wrong, it's a kind of a blanketed mm -hmm. word for, because I used to feel obsessed and highly, yeah. highly uncomfortable. Like I, that's how I would yeah. describe how I felt about yeah. food. 
Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that would be your, that would be my definition of feeling crazy around food, right? Is, you know, I mean, I think the mental obsession is the number one word that people typically use to describe this uncomfortable relationship with food, right? Another word that you use, you know, it's just that it's the constant thinking about it, you know, whether you're quote succeeding or failing or falling off the wagon or, you know, whatever the case is, right? It's that mental obsession with food that just drives people, you know, really nuts. I know a lot of your clients and students say, like, I want to eat everything that isn't nailed down. That wasn't the case for me. For me, it was more like, I want to eat those chips and salsa. I'm going to have 10. And then I would get through five and I'd be like, well, maybe I'll have five now. And then I'll come back 30 minutes later to the table at this party and have five more. Like, that's the kind of thinking I would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exhausting. I wasn't ever really <laughs> present with anyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's interesting because it's a total other topic. But then, you know, once I healed from that, that's how I started to think about booze, which is a whole yeah. other topic. But mm-hmm. I want to, I think we've painted like a really clear picture of, and I did not intend to go into that far into my story, but I think <laughs> it's helpful for people who might have yeah. similar situations. But so let's kind of shift gears and talk about, I have several questions for you that I want to make sure that I get to. But you say that one of the keys to breaking free from this is transitioning from that diet mentality to intuitive eating. So can you talk a little Mm. bit about that? Yeah. So intuitive eating is sort of like, in my opinion, it's kind of like phase one of transitioning out of dieting. So most people who are engaging in these dieting behaviors, where are they getting their information about what to eat? Probably from outside of themselves, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to try and cut my calories. I'm going to try and cut out this food or that food, or, you know, I've got to limit X food or Y food, right? You know, it's sort of what is Dr. Oz telling me to eat? You know, what is Oprah telling me to eat? You know, whatever the case may be, right? Typically, we live in a highly diet focused culture in which most people are getting the message that they need to be taught how to eat correctly by someone outside of themselves rather than actually like, looking inside and like, you know, taking a peek at your own biological instincts and asking myself like, am I hungry? Am I full? This was like a very radical concept for me early on was that I was so heavy into dieting at one point that the concept of actually asking myself, am I hungry or am I full? Didn't even make sense to me. Like it was like, I was going to eat if I was allowed to eat something. And if I wasn't allowed to eat something, I was going to try not to eat it and pray to God that I didn't eat it. And then pray to God that I didn't like, you know, completely quote, fall off the wagon. And if I fell off the wagon, trust me, fullness was not going to stop me. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if I fell off the wagon, I was just going to eat until I was basically Right. And so, you know, there was complete disconnection from my own body because I was constantly taking direction about what to eat from, you know, what I quote unquote should be eating. Right. I shouldn't eat that. I should eat this. I should eat this amount. I shouldn't eat that amount. Right. Like I was constantly my whole Every day I would wake up in the morning saying, okay, today I'm going to be the day that I'm going to try to eat the thing that I eat the way that I should eat, (laughs) right? Like, like, and it was never, oh, hey, baby girl, like little inner child inside slash, hey, little precious body of mine. What do you actually feel like eating? Like, what would actually feel good to you? Like, do you want something warm? Do you want something cold? Like, do you need something hearty? Do you need something light? Like, what do you actually feel physically like would make you feel physically? physically well? What would give you energy right now? Are you hungry? Are you still full from, you know, breakfast this morning? You know, what do you need? And so intuitive eating, you know, is sort of a buzzword right now in sort of the diet recovery space, which is basically this concept of, you know, in order to let go of sort of traditional restrictions around food, which again, for many people will end up in binge eating behaviors, but if they don't, it's just a different kind of hell, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's similar strain, right? 
the sort of in order to sort of overcome restriction, you actually have to kind of be willing to come back to, okay, like, what do I actually want to eat right now? Like, what is my body actually asking me for? So intuitive eating is sort of a buzzword that's really, really important. I think of it as sort of like step one in transitioning out of dieting is actually getting back in touch with your body wants, what your body actually wants to eat. Am I hungry? Am I full? What am I hungry for? This can be really challenging for people who've been dieting their whole lives because most people have been, I mean, for instance, for me, I always used to think, well, if I, you know, actually allowed myself to just choose what I wanted to eat, what I actually really want to eat is just 10 baskets of bread right now. I mean, like, I always just assumed that what I wanted was the thing that I couldn't have. Mm -hmm. And I was always sort of reacting to, you know, what am I supposed to be avoiding on my diet right now? So, you know, if somebody said, oh, just eat what you want, you know, people would say, oh, just why can't you just quote unquote, be normal, you know, just, I would lose my mind. I would be so angry with that comment because I would say them, you don't understand. If I just ate what I wanted, I would just literally never stop eating. I would just eat 10 pints of ice cream right now, you know, and the reality of the situation is that was in large part because I was so disconnected from my body. I didn't know what my body wanted. I was reacting from years and years of deprivation that just, again, made me feel like a kid in a toy store, not being able to touch the toys. And so, you know, there were all of these things that are sort of contributing to that way of operating around food. So transitioning into practicing, listening to my body and allowing my body to kind of direct my choices around food was a huge, huge, huge step in getting out of what I would consider to be like traditional dieting, like traditional, like I'm trying not to eat X food. I'm trying to only eat Y food. I'm trying to only eat Y amounts, those kinds of things. And really looking within and really sort of getting to know what my body's real needs are. You know, am I hungry? Am I full? What am I hungry and full for? So that's sort of intuitive eating, which I would consider, you know, transitioning into intuitive eating and really kind of looking at feeling into what your body wants and needs on a regular basis, kind of like phase one of transitioning out of dieting. Mm -hmm. But one of the biggest problems that people struggle with when they're transitioning into intuitive eating is that they still are often challenged by a lot of diet thinking. And this is where my work really comes into play, right? Is, you know, you know that this like craziness around food is not working for you. You don't want to be spending your life constantly on a diet or constantly falling off of a diet. You know that that's not working for you yet. You know, it's kind of like if somebody said to you, well, just what do you actually feel like eating? What do you want to eat right now? It would be like impossible to make that decision, feel disconnected from my body or perhaps I have diet mentality around those decisions like okay well I know I really my body really wants this but I'm terrified of weight gain or you know I or I'm you know a lot of people fall into what I call the hunger and fullness diet around intuitive eating so that's like sort of like my big joke for when people try to attempt intuitive eating as a way to lose weight and then of course you know if they eat something when they're not hungry they feel like shit about themselves mm -hmm. and fall off the wagon and then they're like oh I might as well just eat everything and try intuitive eating again tomorrow, right? The sort of black and white thinking around food or this day one mentality of today has gone to hell, so I might as well eat everything. And then tomorrow I'll, you know, eat correctly again, whatever that means, <laughs> right. you know, whatever the hell that means, right? So there's a lot of ways that, you know, while intuitive eating, you know, and listening to our bodies is, in my opinion, definitely sort of step one and transitioning out of you know, traditional dieting or traditional mechanisms of restriction, you know, there's this sort of second piece that often gets missed 
about intuitive eating, which is diet mentality, right? Overcoming diet mentality, overcoming this black and white thinking. How do I actually not think about food in these black and white ways? Or how do I actually not think about food in this on the wagon, off the wagon kind of way? How do I not look at food and just see something that's going to make me thin or fat? How do I actually look at it like a quote unquote normal eater and just see it as something that gives me pleasure and nourishment and allows me to fuel my day and move on, right? And so that's really where I think my work kind of comes into play, right? That's what I'm most interested in teaching is how do we start thinking about food the way, quote, normal eaters do, where it's just, you know, those people, those magical people, right, who just sort of, you know, eat when they're hungry, stop when they're full, you know, can have a piece of dessert and just kind of don't really think about it too much, no big deal, moving on with their life. Food's just a non-issue, right? It's just a thing that, you know, gives them pleasure, helps them get through their day, nourishes them, and they just sort of naturally choose foods that feel good to them and you That's know how my how- mom is my mom is yeah. actually that person like my mom is the type of person who can actually have one or two bites of cake and be like oh that's enough sweet for me i'm done and i'm just like wow Right. Where did I miss that DNA? (laughs) Right. It's so funny. When you were talking about your mom earlier, I was like, okay, so your mom's a normal eater. Got it. Like immediately, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what, I mean, it sounds like, which by the way, you're so lucky to have a normal eater mom. Doesn't mean that you didn't learn, you know, screwed up diet. All the addictive stuff that I got. (laughs) Ah, I see. I see. I see. And obviously the culture around you, I'm sure. Right. But, um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah, these quote normal eaters, these like mythical, magical unicorn people, they exist, right? They exist all around us. And, you know, I think when I was struggling for so many years, just wondering, like, why can some of my friends just order a piece of cake, have a couple bites and just be done? Why can't I do that? Why can't I, you know, and I really thought I was like, there's something fundamentally wrong with me, right? Like I'm a sugar addict. I'm a this, I'm a that, right? Like I was going through, there's something fundamentally wrong with me. And I kept trying to, of course, fix it with more restrictions, fix Mm -hmm. it with more, don't eat this, don't eat that, you know? And of course, never worked for me because I would always fall off the wagon and end up binge eating my face off, not to mention feel crazy whenever I would like, you know, sniff a brownie from the bakery. I would like lose my mind. Right. I'd just be like, but yeah, there's something going on with those quote unquote normal leaders. That's really about the the way their brain works. Right. It's the way they think about food. It's the way they operate around food. I imagine that your mom's food choices aren't something that keep her up at night. Right. Like I imagine that your mom is probably not thinking about food all that much, Quite frankly, you know, like outside of like grocery shopping and what are we going to make for dinner? You know, I imagine her self-esteem is not particularly attached to the food choices that she's making. Whereas, you know, when I was dieting, it was like if I screwed up my meal plan or if I screwed up the thing that I was supposed to be eating that day, I felt like shit. Yeah. You know, and then like the one time that she did, I remember when I was probably like in high school, she had put on some weight for whatever reason. And she just, this is so normal. Our next door neighbor, she was friends with, and they started walking every morning, like a bunch of miles, like it's something like totally normal. They'd go on these walks and Mm -hmm. slowly, but surely (laughs) I emphasize slowly, but surely it wasn't, you know, in a week, but she got back to her normal weight and then she did keep walking, but it was just, it was such a normal Thing. Like she didn't take up some right. like crazy exercise regime. She just started walking and then the weight yeah. slowly came off and everything was normal. She didn't even really like talk about it. She just was like, oh right. yeah, I'm kind of uncomfortable. Wow. No big deal. NBD. (laughs) Right. NBD. Whereas like you can better believe like for me in high school, like if like if I gained two pounds, I would have lost my shit. You know, like I just would have completely 
freaked out, you know, and of course, and then, you know, you can imagine how awful I felt when it was 40 pounds, which it was at certain point. I mean, you know, it was just, it felt overwhelming. Like I didn't want to leave the apartment. I didn't want to leave the house. It completely consumed me, you know, and that's very different than, oh yeah, just like put on a little weight, like whatever, you know, no big deal. Right. My food choices, there's a different, I feel like one of the fundamental differences between people who quote unquote feel crazy around food or obsessed with food or diet and cycling or restrictive ED or whatever the case may be, right? The difference between somebody who struggles in their relationship with food and the person for whom food is, you know, no big deal, whatever, you know, it just kind of is what it is. I could take it or leave it. The difference between those two people is ironically, is actually the amount of effort, right? And the amount of importance that food and weight hold in your life, right? So it's like, you know, if it's just like, oh, whatever, I gained a little weight, who cares? It's not a biggie, right? Food doesn't have as much power over you, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's actually so much easier to manage your quote, manage your relationship with food when it just doesn't have this pressing, there's a pressure to be thin. It's just not on you all the time, right? That pressure to be thin uh, on you all the time actually makes food so powerful, right? Whether you're restricting it, whether you're binging on it, right? It just gives food so much power. It makes food charged, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm noticing that, you know, chocolate cake in the fridge. I can't, every time I look in the fridge, I just look at it or like, oh gosh, I have to control myself around food all the time. You know, whatever the, whatever the symptom is, whether it be binge eating or whether it be restrictive eating, again, these two things often go hand in hand for people, but that charge that food has, that power that food has over us, you know, really has to do with how much pressure we're experiencing around our weight. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that's where, I mean, that's of course where the body image conversation comes into play, right? Like people always are like, Oh, you know, I, you know, please help me stop binge eating. I want nothing more than to be thin. And I kind of want to say to them, Hey, did you know that that pressure that you feel to be thin, that feeling of, I want nothing more to be thin is actually what's probably spurring on this whole diet binge cycling thing that you're experiencing. Right. People think, oh, I just need to get my food under control. I just need to stop binge eating and then I can be thin. Please, finally, finally, finally. Right. And the reality of the situation is that this body image conversation, this dire pressure that we feel to constantly be thin is what gives food its power over us. It's what makes that chocolate cake feel like heroin, pretty much. I have a question for you. So do you think that people... In your experience, because I know you, this is your work, you, you teach a class with a process on mm-hmm. how to do this, but do you think that women need to first give up the whole quest for being thin before they can start doing this work? Like, where does that fit in there? Or is, is that like a no. byproduct of the work? They go together, right? So it's sort of, it's definitely not one before the other. It's like a mishmash. It's like a, it's like a tapestry, uh-huh. right? So for example, most people cannot do one without the other, right? Like, I feel like our relationship with food slowly but surely starts to improve over time as our relationship with our body slowly mm-hmm. starts to improve over time, right? So the two kind of go together. And I think it can look different for different people. Like, I think that this is one of those areas where it's sort of different strokes for different folks in the sense that, like, some people can just let go of dieting and then they're just struggling with body image and that's becomes the new frontier. Other people, they need to work on body image in order to feel safe and letting go 
of the crazy restrictions that often, again, will catapult in all of these other behaviors, right? So it sort of it depends on the person. But yeah. typically speaking, right, these things in the long term, they're going to go together some way, somehow. And I think that this is one of those things where it is not a quick fix. I mean, you know this, right? I mean, you right. were doing this work far beyond after having, you know, regained your mm-hmm. weight and sort of healing your physical body, right? Like this work takes a long time. This work is deep, right? This body shame thing is no joke. Yeah. (laughs) So typically speaking, right, it would be, you know, if people had to wait in order until they felt like, quote unquote, comfortable with their bodies in order to let go of these restrictive behaviors, it would never happen and vice versa, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's a mix. It's always a mix. And the mix and the order of that sort of tapestry, the way that tapestry is woven together will look different from person to person. But what I can tell you is that it is always a tapestry. I don't know anyone who just healed their relationship with food and kept just having crazy body shame or vice versa, right? Like they fundamentally are related. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of another one of the big problems that we see with people, you know, so a lot of my clients, they identify as emotional eaters, right? Pretty common thing. Right. Most of my clients are like, oh, yep, I, uh, you know, eat my feelings. You know, my, right. Exactly. My mm-hmm. big issue is like, I eat my feelings. Right. But again, there's this idea that this is a separate issue from body image. I have no body image, but I've actually never met an emotional leader who really didn't feel that pressure to be thin or mm-hmm. feel that pressure to control their size in some capacity. Right. That's always there. Right. So these two, if they're right, when we're really being honest with ourselves, I've never, I mean, quite frankly, I've never met an emotional leader who didn't have a history of food restriction in some capacity. That's the truth. Right. But typically, right. Again, that desire to food restrict is always is by definition connected to a body image issue. Right. It's by definition. It starts the moment that we have that day comes and we're told our bodies are not okay. My ass looks too big in these jeans. Right. Mm. That's sort of is the beginning of the cycle, right? So it's like these three things often get siphoned into like separate categories as if they're separate issues, but they're all the same issue and they need to be worked on together or one can never be fully healed without work with the other two. As I was asking the question, I was thinking like, I, I, I think I know the answer just <laughs> from my own right, experience right, right. and talking to so many women. And I think you're right. And I'm right. glad that you said that, that it is, it is not a one and done. And I say that all the time over here on the podcast, it doesn't matter what part of your life you're looking at, whether it's your relationships or friendships or even career, negative self-talk, body food. It's it's an ongoing process, especially if it's a big one for you. Mm-hmm. I think that there's just so much involved and there's so many layers. There could even be trauma involved, which would require, you know, probably some people to go to a therapist and, and all of these different things. And I think too, now that I've gotten a little bit older, I've noticed that in different seasons of my life, my perspective has changed. And some, I, I will say for the positive, I do think that there is some women, myself included, and I know this isn't everyone's experience, but I have gotten to a certain age where I'm kind of just like, I don't give a shit. Like, not like I'm throwing a towel in, but I care way right. less about being yeah. thin for the sake of being thin. Right. I think it just has, right. Which ironically helps you. Yeah, I mean, that's the big irony is that people who have a healthy perspective around weight and quote unquote, don't give a shit, right? Often have much healthier relationships Relationships with food. Yep. Yeah. Giving a shit to the point where like I feel consumed, right? By this, I need to lose weight thing that causes these issues, right? Right. I mean, that's sort of, it's the grand irony, right? I always say like the grand irony is when I stopped caring about what I weighed, I actually just started eating like a quote normal person and my weight just kind of like became my set point weight. 
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't weigh myself anymore. And when I was at the pediatrician, my kids were getting like chronic ear infections a few months ago. And there's like the scale in the office. And sometimes we have to wait a long time. And I weighed myself for the first time in a really long time. And the number kind of surprised me. It was higher than I had anticipated it to be. And I honestly didn't care. And I was like, yeah, it was such a freeing moment where I was like, huh. My yeah. first thought was, that's interesting. Like, yeah. <laughs> where right. that's like revolutionary. Because like, like right. and even 10 years ago, I might have gone like down the rabbit hole of feeling like shit about myself. Right. Exactly. It was exactly. just information. It's like, yeah. And that is so, so, so key, right? It's like being able to have that perspective where you're just like, oh, I put on some weight, right? Like, like your mom, right? Like your mom <laughs> Maybe it's right? Happening. Like, quote normal eaters. Right. It's just like, you know, being able to be like, oh, you know, I put on some weight, whatever. That perspective is actually what allows you to just make rational, sane choices around food. Right. Like just being able to be like, yeah, what's also helpful is because I do so much personal development work because, you know, because this is what I do, that Mm -hmm. I am more apt to, and this is probably what you see too with your people that have gone through your work. I'm more apt to, Mm -hmm. I I pay attention a lot more. So for instance, you know, my dad died in October and things kind of fell apart in my life. One of the things was I was like eating more starchy food, you know, pastas and breads and things like that. And I was totally emotional eating. And again, like I kind of didn't care Mm because before, I would, the old me would panic 
and like mm-hmm. this is it this is the end it's going to affect so many areas of my life and now this is probably a huge element of self-trust so, like i know that i'm going to be okay if i'm 10 pounds heavier mm-hmm. like, is it a pain in the ass that i have to buy bigger pants it kind of is sure but right. it's fine like it's going to be fine i'm right. going to start it's okay and i think a lot of that has yeah. to do with just the years going by and the majority of it is that because i do a lot of work on myself and and like at a pretty constant level. So, which brings me to my, I want to ask you one more question on this. And that's just really, I'm super curious about what have been your personal challenges in your own experience? I've shared a couple of mine. I'm super curious what yours have been. Ooh, well, I would make the argument that between going to rehab, so I think the end of the story that I got to is basically me going into rehab, Mm -hmm. and I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder at the time, and it took me years to actually, quote, recover, because I kept trying to do it from a physical plane. Like, again, like, I just need to eat the right way, I just need to get my food right. Uh, So you didn't want to do, like, the emotional stuff, the mental stuff? I didn't know how. Yeah. Right? Like, I didn't feel like I was getting great direction. I was seeing a lot of therapists at the time who were like, let's talk about your childhood, which was really important and really great. No one really told me how to actually dismantle diet mentality. Like no one actually, I felt like it was very, very challenging me for actually to let go of things like day one mentality, like diet starts tomorrow or meal plan starts tomorrow. I'll get it right tomorrow. It's very hard for me to let go of things like black and white thinking, right? Which I think is one I hear all the time from clients like, oh, I'm a black and white thinker. I'm like, sure you are. That's the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's look at that very hard for me to let go of the ways of thinking about food that were actually sort of keeping me acting and behaving like a quote dieter, even though in my head, I was like, Oh, I'm not dieting anymore. I'm following my meal plan or I'm doing this or doing that. But I was always this very, I was just constantly trying to get my food right. Even years after going to rehab, instead of doing what we're talking about right now, which is actually being able to let go, right? Like actually being able to get comfortable with my body the way it is, get comfortable with my food choices, not let food run my life anymore, right? Like actually be able to be like, it's okay. You know, you ate an extra donut or whatever that who cares? It's okay. It's really okay. Right? Like if I eat five donuts, it's fundamentally okay. I had to get to the point where it's like, if I gain weight, it's fundamentally okay. Like I'm really okay. I really, it's just not that big a deal, right? Like it's just, this is not worth my anxiety, right? And sort of do the work that could get me there, that could get me comfortable with myself. So that food and body image, right? Food and the way I felt about my body, food and weight weren't running my life anymore, right? I actually had some perspective. I felt like, okay, yeah, it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go enjoy my life. I'm going to go do my work. I'm going to go enjoy my friends. I'm going to go outside. I remember, you know, doing the work, like very specific things, like even if I gain weight, I'm not canceling a dinner plan. Yeah. Because I quote, feel fat because I quote, feel that that's not letting anybody take your picture. Right. I Mm -hmm. used to do shit like that all the time. You know, so it was like these kinds of more, you know, I, I mean, I was very lucky. I went, saw great therapists and I'm so glad that I did, you know, the underlying work in therapy and the clinical therapy, but these were the sort of specific, you know, kind of action oriented steps around actually really, what does it mean to operate differently in the world when it comes to food, weight, et cetera. I didn't really felt even in ED treatment, I didn't feel like I was really getting those skills. So yeah, so that sort of, I really learned that from coaches, right? From coaches, from authors, from writers. And, you know, again, also discovering a lot of it on my own along the way, like just from my own experience. And that's really the bulk of what I write about is just stuff that I sort of came to on my own experience. So yeah, 
that's <laughs> that's kind of a long answer to your question. No, it I think it's all I, and I I mean we went off on this. <laughs> I'm super glad to and I'm glad that all the times that you've been on I think that we've gone in different directions in the conversation and I'm excited to tell people to be able to get some free content from you which you have such an amazing free video series. So the link is in the show notes you guys and then I, I mentioned it in the intro to to this episode if it's it's at yourkickasslife.com forward slash Isabel and that will land you right on that page. So tell everyone what this video series is about. What will they get? What will they walk away with? I'm starting to run out of gas over here. What will they walk away with if they series. sign up for your, your free video series? So Stop Fighting Food is my free video training series. That's sort of like a core introduction to like basic concepts that I teach. Big, big things that we kind of touched upon in this episode, but we go into a lot more depth in the series are things like, okay, what does it mean when I say quitting traditional dieting is not enough to let go of the diet binge cycle. There must be a psychological shift. The way we actually think about food needs to change. We talk a lot about this sort of myth and fallacy, right? That, you know, the answer to specifically binge eating, I'll speak to those who struggle with binge eating or emotional eating or who relate to that sort of compulsive behavior around food. The myth is that I have to try to control more, that I have to like double down on trying to control my food. And I really, really, really break down why that often backfires and leads to more problems than it's worth. I think we're going to break down, we're going to talk a lot about the difference between binge eating and emotional eating, right? We mentioned both of those things today. Most people think binge eating just means emotional eating a lot. That's not actually accurate, right? They actually have two different things that motivate them, right? And binge eating, just to give like a little brief introduction, binge eating is really motivated by, it's a reaction to dieting, right? It's that I want to touch the toy that I don't think I'm allowed to touch kind of feeling versus emotional eating, which is um, sort of typical, you know, I'm eating over stress or I want to soothe myself or comfort myself with food. So those are two different things that I think often get confused. And so I want to talk about both of those in my video training series, sort of how to deal with both of those, because I think that's a big, big misunderstanding that comes up a lot in this conversation. And then also, you know, body image. Again, we have to talk about body image. We have to talk about sort of the biggest trigger that most people are ignoring, right? This is the, the I think the biggest trap that people fall into is they're like, I need to get over my binge eating so that I can become thin. And it becomes, you know, this whole sort of weird, like meta like the don't binge eat diet, which of course just keeps the cycle going as opposed to, you know, a completely different perspective, which is like, I actually really want to truly heal psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. I want to truly heal my relationship with food and my body so that I can quote unquote, eat like a normal person, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like actually not have food and weight run my life, right? If your motivation for healing your relationship with food is just to get thin, you're going to run into problems, right? You're going to end up just going back all around the cycle over and over and over and over again, like a washing machine. You know, I think that these kinds of changes, these kinds of radical changes to our food, right? We have to address the underlying root that caused this whole problem to begin with, right? We've really, really got to get to, you know, the bottom of body shame, right? Yeah. Otherwise, the cycle is just going to keep rolling, rolling right down the hill, just like we kind of described in this episode. So those are just some of the points that, you know, we're going to talk about in the video training series and also in my emails and blogs, which, you know, you'll also get with the video training series is just sort of like a splash here you go. Massive introduction to all of these concepts. If you don't think I'm completely nuts after this interview, <laughs> like, the video training series is sort of like the place to go get 
a big old dose of all of the solutions that we're trying to talk about here. Yeah. Well, and also like in full transparency that you have a, a program that they will be introduced to that they have the option to sign up for or not at the end of the video training series. And then I also want to just yes. add that I am actually a guest teacher in that program where I talk specifically about shame. Because yeah. you can't, I just feel like you can't talk about this topic without talking about shame. And more specifically, what I teach in your program is shame resilience and what that actually yeah. is. Because it's not about getting rid of shame, like you're still going to have it, but it's about learning how to yes. be resilient to it. Yes, which is super, super, super important. Because I think that also, you know, when people hear body image work, they immediately think, okay, like, how can I look in the mirror and never feel badly about it, right? Like, yeah. how do I shut down so that I never feel badly when I look at my body or I never have negative thoughts about my body? And not gonna happen. Um, that's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Certainly not in our current cultural climate. Probably not. But there are different ways to deal with it so that it doesn't actually trigger you into some of these self-harming behaviors that we've been talking about with dieting or restriction or anything else. And, you know, also ways to sort of manage it so that it so that you can, to your point, be resilient to it, right? And actually not let it keep you in your apartment when you want to go have fun with your friends. Mm-hmm. So yeah, super, super. I love that lecture that you offered. I was so, so happy. Yeah, so the master class is my, is sort of the really, I mean, it's a pretty intensive four-month group coaching program for those who really want to get into this work, who are like, okay, yes, hell right. yeah, sign, sign mm-hmm. me up. Um, but, right, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that program is going to be opening on September 7th. And Andrea, I just love your guest lecture in it. I was like so happy that you agreed to be a guest yeah, no, I was happy to offer it because I think it just is one of those things where, you know, you are the expert on that other stuff that we just talked for an hour about. But I love teaching about shame resilience and I'm happy to do it. And again, for transparency's sake, I am an affiliate for that masterclass. So if you use the link that we just gave you to sign up for the video program, I get compensation. But again, I only promote those whose programs I 1000% believe in. I love your work and I think that you're doing great things in the world. And I'm glad that you teach something that I can't. Like that's another reason that I promote your work because like, I'm like, don't look at me guys. I... This is the thing I can't teach. Yeah. So I'm just thrilled that you have, and you have so much experience. Like how many times have you ran this program? Oh, this would this is going to be the fifth time. Mm -hmm. Fifth, fifth, fifth. Yeah. So it's not your, it's not your pilot round. And again, everybody go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash Isabel. Thank you so much for being here. It's been such a great, great conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love chatting with you. And and yeah, I'm just, yeah, it's a pleasure as always. So thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here and staying with us this whole time. All the show notes are at episode 166. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey, ass kickers, you know what would help me out so much if you left a rating and review for this podcast. Your Kick-Ass Life podcast will always be free to you and to help me get more awesome guests and to spread the word, it helps tremendously if you leave a rating and a review. Now, they don't particularly make this super easy to do, so I'll help you out a little. If you're in iTunes and you're on your phone, when you are in the podcast app, you need to search for Your Kick-Ass Life 
Life podcast. I know, even if you're subscribed, this is how you do it. So when you search for it and you see it come up, click on the cover art, then towards the top where it says reviews, click that, scroll down a tiny little bit, and then click write a review. Stitcher is a bit easier if you're on Android. The easiest way I found to do this is to type into Google stitcher.com, your kick-ass life, and voila, my podcast should pop up as the first link. Scroll down and click write a review. That's it. Thank you so very much. You have no idea how much it helps me when you do that. All right. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.